Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. If you listened to last week's program, you know that Rick is in Jerusalem, Israel, and he's still there right now with 58 students of the Academy of Excellence. And on the program today, we're going to hear from the principal and the gentleman, our good friend, Randy Meltzer, and the reason as to why Randy thought it was important to take these young people to Israel for their senior trip. Rick, we're going to talk with him later on in the program. On the program today, we have R.C. Merle, and we're opening the uh, a conversation about AI, artificial intelligence, a lot of people are asking that question, how does it fit into Bible prophecy? R.C. Merle will be here to talk about that. And Paul Scharf is going to continue his conversation on dispensationalism. This week, we're talking about the times of the Gentiles and how that relates to the time period in which we're living, not only now, but in the future period of the tribulation. Well, Rick, let's get started with our first, Ken Timmerman. Well, that's right, Jimmy. We have got Ken Timmerman with us. He's our expert on geopolitical affairs. He joins us each week to talk about things that are going on around the world. If you'd like to find out more about Ken, you could go to KenTimmerman.com. Ken, thank you for joining us today. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure, Rick. Ken, we've got quite a few interesting stories to get to. We'll start with uh, Ukraine mounting a counteroffensive, and this is the big counteroffensive that we've been hearing about, isn't it? Well, we don't know yet. Uh, remember, we are in the fog of war when it comes to tactics, when it comes to things happening on the ground. Uh, the Ukrainians are actually not saying an awful lot about it. Uh, there have been reports in Western newspapers, in the New York Times, in the Washington Post, even Vladimir Putin has commented on Twitter, I think it is, where he said the counteroffensive has begun and we know it because they brought up their strategic reserves. And Putin, of course, claims that they, the Ukrainians have met none of their objectives. Uh, look, it's going to take a couple of days to figure out exactly what's going on on the ground. I imagine next week we'll have a lot more detail on this. Uh, the key is going to be whether the Ukrainians have the ability already, uh, which would be quite dramatic if they were able to train their forces so quickly to use those new Western uh, tanks and artillery pieces, armored personnel car carriers that they've been importing uh, in very large numbers, really, over the past six months. If they use those, it will be a it'll be a big story. If they don't, it could be a fizzle. Well, Ken, we have talked about the fog of war frequently on this program, and you don't really know what is going on. Even in this day and age of so much information coming out, we still have trouble finding out what's going on. That's not exemplified any more than this situation with this dam in Ukraine. People are not even sure who blew the dam up, whether it was Russia or whether it was Ukraine. Can you tell us about that situation? Uh, well, I can't tell you who blew up the dam. Uh, we, we do not know at this point. Each side is accusing the other. Uh, what I can tell you are the devastating impacts actually on both sides of the conflict. Uh, what, what's ironic here is that this enormous dam uh, with the reservoir behind it was essentially the, it's called the Karkova Reservoir. This was the lifeblood, if you wish, of the Ukrainian farming belt. Uh, so these farmers who are getting irrigation water from this reservoir, now they're going to have an awful lot of trouble 
getting water for their crops. The price of wheat internationally has already skyrocketed. It's gone up dramatically because of this. So Ukrainians are going to pay a price. However, the Russians are also going to pay a price because that same reservoir was just about the only source of water for the barren Crimean Peninsula. And remember, uh, Russia annexed Crimea back in 2014 after they held an internationally monitored referendum. People tend to forget this. There were international monitors there. In fact, a very good friend of mine, a board member of my Iran Foundation, went there for the National Republican Institute as a monitor. And he thought that the referendum was pretty free and fair. Uh, So Crimea will also suffer. And the ecological effects, Rick, are, are just extraordinary even as far away as Odessa on the Black Sea. They're getting oil-covered crust and crud coming up on the beaches uh, from the effluence of this dam. Uh, This is an ecological disaster, really, that is hitting both sides in the conflict. Who did it? We just don't know. Well, Ken, we'll move on from that Ukrainian crisis, but I'd like to talk to you about a growing trend, and there is an anti-Western nuclear club, if you want to put it that way. Russia is involved. We've been talking about them already today, but North Korea, China, Iran, this is a nuclear club that we should be very much concerned about. Well, this is an alliance that you and I have been talking about for a number of years, Rick, and even with your dad, we talked about this, but this alliance, Russia, China, Iran, gets closer and tighter with every month, actually. Uh, Now we are seeing uh, the Russians and the Iranians cooperating in Syria to expel the United States from Syria. And and it looks like there are indicators that the Russians may be once again helping the Iranians with their nuclear weapons program. The two facts I'd like to throw out here, which I think are really significant and not uh, that well known to the general public. In February of this year, You had uh, the U.S. Strategic Command telling Congress that China now has more ICBM launchers, intercontinental ballistic missile launchers, than the United States. Let let me repeat that. China today has more ICBM launchers than we do. We think Mm. that we we have such this enormous ballistic uh, missile arsenal and this nuclear arsenal and that China is way, way behind us. They only have a couple of hundred nuclear weapons. That is no longer the case. Uh, There have been briefings to Congress where they say now the Chinese have perhaps 10 times as many warheads as we thought they did just 10 years ago. They could have 1,500, maybe 2,000 warheads, which puts them basically not at strategic parity with the United States, but boy, it makes them a really serious nuclear contender. So that's the first fact I think is really important that that, uh, our our listeners understand. And the second one is that uh, just this week, you had the supreme leader in Iran, Khamenei, saying publicly that in the new world order, in the new order, America will no longer exist. He says, when we say death to America, that's real and that's coming. America will no longer exist in the new order. And you know what? That's exactly what your dad was saying. That was his message in that last video that he made before he died that uh, I I took part in and you you took part in uh, as well, uh, that America is not there in the end times when China, Russia and Iran are allied. 
Well, a few more items I'd like to get your thoughts on before you have to go, Ken. It looks like President Trump may be indicted again this week. Can you tell us a little bit about that situation and how it is going to affect the geopolitical world? Uh, This is an extraordinary story. Uh, It looks like the uh, federal grand jury, the special prosecutor appointed by Merrick Garland, probably the most partisan attorney general in the history of the United States of America. This is yet another grand jury. Now they're going to indict Trump apparently on Tuesday in Miami in a federal court on these documents, on the documents that Trump says he declassified as president of the United States, as is perfectly permissible for him to do. And the irony here is that Joe Biden has been caught with many, many times this number of classified documents that he spread all over the United States in offices uh, in his home, by his Corvette, in his garage, uh, not in a secure location. And nobody seems to care. And he did not have the authority, either as vice president or when he was a United States senator, to declassify documents. So Biden's offense, such as it is, is far more serious than Trump's. Trump actually has a constitutional basis to say, I declassify these documents as president of the United States. I took them with me. By the way, as every former president has done when they want to start their archive or their library, right? Where do you think they get their documents? They take them with them when they leave the White House. Jimmy Carter did that. Ronald Reagan did that. Uh, Gerald Ford did that. I mean, every president does this to set up his his library. So this is a political witch hunt, uh, Rick, which is really extraordinary. It shows that we are now officially a banana republic that prosecutes and wants to tries to throw in jail former leaders or future leaders that do not agree with the current leadership. We have two standards of justice. It is absolutely uh, scandalous, in my view, the criminalization of policy and the criminalization of politics. It's un-American. I tend to agree with you, Ken, and it's very concerning the way this is coming about. We're going to need to keep our eye on this. Final question. We have talked about President Erdogan of Turkey being reelected. I'd just like to kind of put a, a, a cap on that event and, and, and a summary. What does this mean for the world, him staying in power for as long as he have? Can you tell us a little bit about what that means for not only uh, the Middle East, but also Israel and America as well? Well, I think what this means is that Turkey continues on this path of Islamization and of radicalization. I think you will see Turkey increasingly work together uh, geopolitically with Russia, China, and Iran. So they will be joining that alliance. Uh, They will be cementing that alliance. They will probably be working together also to get the United States out of Syria. Uh, I do not see Erdogan really making up with Israel, even though he tried to do so over the past two years. Uh, he's made overtures to try to lessen the tensions with Israel. He he does he does not want to deal with Israel at this point. Uh, he's got enough problems at home. His economy is in trouble, but he is intent on cementing the Islamist hold over Turkey. A secular Turkey is finished. Ken, so many things taking place in the world today. You keep an eye on all of them and report to our listeners. We appreciate what you do. Again, if you would like to find out more about Ken, sign up for his newsletter, some of his books. that He's got books coming out. He's got books already out. You can go to his website, KenTimmerman.com. Ken, thanks for being with us. Rick, thanks so much. It's always a pleasure. God bless. Great job, Ken. And Rick, you do sound tired from your trip in Israel. But uh, let me just remind you, folks. We cover the events in light of God's prophetic words. So current events and what's happening in the world 
as we keep an eye on geopolitical issues, it helps us to understand the times in which we're living. Well, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, David Dolan and our Middle East News Update with Rick, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Kramer with Mission Network News. Russian and Ukrainian military forces are pointing fingers at each other over the destruction of a major dam and power plant in southern Ukraine yesterday. The floodwaters from the broken dam put thousands of Ukrainians at risk in complicated evacuation efforts. Eric Mock with the Slava Gospel Association tells us. In the middle of this, the churches stand firm. So the gospel will be going to these people. And people working with SGA should know that we're immediately on the edge right now, ready to help with generators, with food, with whatever is needed to help the people there. None of this critical gospel ministry happens without your support. Through SGA, you can come alongside Ukraine's believers and we'll connect you at our website. And please pray for Christ's peace in Ukraine. And International Media Ministries recently entered International Christian Visual Media's 50th Crown Awards, and their film, Cyprian, from the Heritage Project, won the bronze medal for Best Series. The Heritage Project is an eight-part docudrama series featuring stories of early church leaders in North Africa. Denise Godwin with IMM says, It's marvelous to think that these stories were started by North Africans saying, please tell our stories. And not only are we telling them for North Africa, but we're getting to tell them for other parts of the world, too. So such a privilege to get to do that. And just to remember that you don't have to be big and famous and rich to have an influence. You just have to be faithful. Congratulations to IMM. Find your place in the story at missionnews.org. Thanks for listening to Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. We're listener supported by people just like you. So by giving to Mission Network News, you enable us to keep the stories of God's kingdom coming. And together, the Great Commission happens. Look for links at missionnews.org. That's missionnews.org. I'm Ruth Kramer. Welcome back to Prophecy Today Radio, the program that looks at current events in the light of Bible prophecy. This is our Middle East News Update. We look at news coming out of Israel in particular, and the Middle East in general as well. And to do that, we have with us Dave Dolan. Dave, thank you for joining us. Glad to be with you, Rick. Well, David, the top news story this week seems to be the relationship between Iran and Israel seems to be coming to a point, maybe a point of no return as they develop nuclear weapons. And there have been many things taking place in Israel that seem to be pushing this to a point of maybe a military conflict. Yes, Rick, we had uh, the former defense minister, Benny Gantz, late last week say that things were coming to a head with Iran and that Israel was coming to a decisive point. And that, uh, importantly, because he's a member of the opposition now, that he would support the government in any action that it decides it has to take against Iran. And then on Sunday, we had a very dramatic underground security cabinet meeting in a bunker underneath military headquarters in Tel Aviv, and that is the central uh, military command in all of Israel. It's way under the earth and a nuclear-proof site. And during previous conflicts, that's where a lot of the leaders headed and decisions were made. Well, he had not only the security cabinet come down and meet with him there, but he also had uh, the top brass of the military at this special meeting. And they were discussing what uh, 
Netanyahu called Operation Firm Hand, and that was a drill to test Israel's readiness once again for uh, not only an attack uh, from Iran directly, but from its proxy forces in Lebanon, in Syria, in the Gaza Strip, inside of Israel, its Palestinian allies inside of Israel. And um, he made some pretty strong statements. He, he released a video from there that was broadcast on TV, and I'm quoting, we're committed to acting against Iran's nuclear drive, against missile attacks on Israel, and the possibility of these fronts, meaning the ones I just mentioned, joining up. And then he said the possibility of multiple fronts is a threat that Israel has to consider ahead of time. So is that a hint that uh, there could be military action at any time uh, involving either the proxy forces first and or Iran and the proxy forces together? We just don't know. But it comes as other drills and operations, uh, preparations have been going on for months, of course, for years, really. But we did have an interesting announcement from the CENTCOM. That's, of course, the central command of the um, U.S. military based in uh, Florida. The Air Force chief of that body revealed that they've been participating in bomber task force missions, is what he called it, uh, with Israel and other U.S. allies in the Middle East in recent days. He didn't say, of course, that these were you know, designed to prepare for war with Iran, but that was the the given assumption. So things are definitely hot, at least rhetorically, and uh, growing indications that, you know, as Iran is continuing to enrich uranium, and we've had the reports there nearly up to the weapons-grade range that they would need, and as we've spoken about before, it would only take a week or two for them to get to that, and if they already had everything else ready to go, it could be just months after that that they would actually have a usable nuclear weapon. And this, of course, came also, Rick, on on Thursday, we had the Iranian regime confirm that it had test-fired this new um, supersonic missile. This is, of course, of great concern to Israel. It can fly, I think they said, 16 times the speed of sound, meaning it would be almost impossible to take it out by any of Israel's anti-missile defense systems if aimed at Israel. So, tense times on that front indeed. And uh, again, not a news story. And there's a lot of other things I could add. There's been other sub-stories connected to that in the past week, but basically the tensions continue to mount and uh, Iran continues its defiant statements and actions and threats. So we'll just see where it goes, but a very serious situation. And of course, this is the anniversary of the, not only the Six-Day War in June 67, but also, Rick, of the 1982 Israel war in Lebanon against Syria and eventually Hezbollah. So uh, June has been a month of warfare before, and it could well turn out to be that again. Well, David, as we look at recent history, we recall the situation in Russia as the buildup began and Putin began threatening Ukraine. It just seemed like it was building, 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 and we didn't know if it was going to happen, and it did. And that situation seems parallel to what is going on right now. The situation in Iran continues to build, and it almost seems like a conflict is inevitable. Is that what you see? I thought that for some time, Rick, because it's clear that the Iranian regime has as its main goal in life the destruction of, quote, the Zionist regime, the Jewish state. Uh, they are driven by this. 
It's uh, anti-Semitism at its meanest, at its uh, cruelest. And uh, again, as I said last week, Israel has no beef per se with Iran, apart from the fact that this new regime in 1979 said it would come after Israel eventually, and they've been preparing for that. Three years later, they formed Hezbollah in Lebanon, and then, of course, there was a lot of clashes and conflicts and death involved in that over the years and uh, the war in 2006, and then, of course, stepping up their arms to Hamas and Islamic Jihad, moving their forces into Syria, and strengthening those in Lebanon. And you mentioned Russia. Of course, Russia playing a big part in this as well, having worked with Iran in Syria to support the Assad regime, and also, of course, for that war in Ukraine, getting these uh, Iranian-made drones that have been the most effective weapon that Russia's been using. That's interesting that they would have to buy them from somebody else or get them from somebody else. And we've had those reports that, in exchange, Russia is stepping up, has stepped up its military support for Iran. And meanwhile, China is stepping up its relationship with uh, Iran as well. So the world stage seems to be devolving into the place where a major conflict is inevitable. And again, the prime minister convening his cabinet and doing it publicly, taking a video camera down there, somebody did, and filming him down there and all of them, is an obvious indication that Israel believes that conflict is not only possible, but probably imminent. And Rick, without saying too much, I'm hearing that from my sources in Israel, some of whom are in the military or are reserve officers, that they're being warned about a possible conflict at any time as well. Well, we know Scripture says that in the end times, Iran will play a major role as they come against Israel, and it certainly seems like that stage is being set. We will continue to monitor that situation, and you've mentioned a few actors here. You talked about Iran. You talked about China. Another player, and this is a situation that we have been continuing to follow as well, Saudi Arabia. They have renewed their relationships with Iran. They are developing relationships with China. The relationship that they have had for a long time with the United States is suddenly on the decline. Saudi Arabia has a new role in the Middle East, don't they? They absolutely do. And one has to say that Crown Prince Mohammed Salman is a bright young man. And uh, he has brought them out of the world condemnation after the Khashoggi killing at the uh, embassy in Turkey that, you know, the U.S. strongly condemned because he is, of course, also a U.S. citizen, Saudi-born, but and a Washington Post columnist, or he was, and um, they were at a low point. But since then, they've uh, repaired ties with Iran. Uh, in fact, the Iranian embassy was reopened in uh, Riyadh uh, during the week, and they have uh, reduced their fighting with uh, Yemen to the south because, of course, Iran's supply of weapons to the Houthi rebels there was the main reason that continued. They've stepped in as a mediator in Sudan, the conflict brewing in Su Sudan. They acted as a conduit of refugees leaving that conflict to come into Saudi Arabia and then go on to their home countries. And this week they hosted Anthony Blinken, the U.S. Secretary of State, for a three-day visit. That was after they hosted Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro, of course, who is a socialist at the very least and a close ally of Putin and uh, of China. And uh, that was uh, a conference of many countries, actually, that uh, were in an alliance against ISIS, the fight against ISIS. 
and they were discussing how that's going and all of that. But uh, Blinken did say he brought up these other issues. He said, we in Washington do not oppose you and Riyadh getting closer to China. That's your business. But everybody, you know, chuckled at that because, of course, they don't like to see that happen. And uh, he admitted that they also discussed the recent Saudi announcement that they were cutting oil production, which uh, spiked the price of oil several dollars the day they announced that. So all of these are issues. But Saudi Arabia is back again, uh, very much at the center of what's going on, uh, restoring ties with Syria and pushing that forward in the Arab League. So, yes, they're doing a lot of things. And by the way, Blinken said they weren't happy about that Syrian reinstitution. But uh, again, it's your business in a way you set your own policies and uh, we'll set ours. Well, this is the Middle East News Update, and we will continue to look at things taking place in the Middle East, those shifting dynamics, many of these things that are taking place, setting the stage for Bible prophecy in the future to be fulfilled. Well, thank you so much for informing our listeners. You bring a unique blend of uh, a journalistic knowledge, but also as a student of Bible prophecy, you add that to your report. We appreciate you coming to us every week, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. I'm glad to do it, uh, Rick, and enjoy your remaining days in Israel. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. I'm standing here in the Western Wall Plaza. You'd be a lot of noise. There's a dedication ceremony. There's young Israeli soldiers taking their oath, and now they're chanting and dancing and having a good time. People down at the Western Wall. I have two young ladies, students, with us from the trip. Could you tell us your names and where you're from? Sophia Schick from Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. Rhoda Fokers from Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. Uh, one thing I do notice about these two, I have caught them in the mornings. They've been doing their quiet times on the Sea of Galilee. They've been doing their quiet times overlooking the Mount of Olives. If you guys don't mind, could you tell us what has stood out to you the most on this trip? I think specifically for me, just um, just seeing where Jesus has spent his life and his ministry here in Israel, um, and just being at the Western Wall, even seeing that we don't need a special place to talk to God, we can be anywhere, um, and even reading our Bibles, like he said, in the mornings, and just to read exactly where Jesus was during his ministry and during his time here has really stood out to me. Excellent. And how about you, Rhoda? It's been really special to see the Bible come alive, to seeing where the authors, they wrote different parts of the Bible, like seeing David spring up and seeing how Psalm 63 came out of his time in Engedi. Different experiences like that just make the Bible come more alive, and that's been really special. Certainly a special opportunity for all these young people. Thank you, ladies, for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs)
Rick, what great testimonies of those. And everybody that's there with Randy in the land of Israel, I know that you're having a great impact on their life. I've seen it happen so many times when people are there in the land with their Bible in hand on location and understanding that it's a real place that took place at a real time in history. And we are so thankful that uh, the testimonies are really great. Well, we get letters uh, often at Prophecy Today. I try to respond to a lot of them and um, our ministry, we try to respond to them. But this one I thought was very current and one from another ministry leader by the name of uh, Steve Houghton, who has a ministry to the deaf. He teaches Bible prophecy to the deaf, translating the message of Bible prophecy, and that's what he does in his ministry. Uh, Steve sent me a note. He said, Hi, Jimmy. Heard your conversation this morning about digital currency. Do you think it's possible for a change to digital currency before the tribulation? And you know, when I got that question... I had to get R.C. Merle back on. And so, R.C., welcome to the program. <laughs> Thank you. Good to be back with you. What's your thinking, R.C.? We've talked about digital currency. We're trying to keep people aware. It's a, it's a process. It's happening. Do you think digital currency, the, the change to digital currency, will happen before the tribulation period? Yeah, I, I really do think it's possible. But it's, what's really important to remember is that the cashless society is only the first step towards the mark of the beast. And, and the mark cannot happen until at least three and a half years after the rapture and after the onset of the tribulation, as foretold in Daniel 9.27. But personally, between us, as we talked about this and, and we uh, we brought this to the radio programs several, many times yes. uh, over the last three years, um, yeah, I think it's real possible. It's moving very quickly and that we could see this very, very soon, actually. You know, R.C., we understand there are no prophecies to be fulfilled before the rapture of the church. We believe in an imminent event. So we are looking at all the stories, examining current events in the light of biblical prophecy. We do that because we have an understanding of what will take place after the rapture of the church and after the tribulation period begins. But these events that we're examining are events that are setting up for events that take place in the future. And if we get, if we're so close to that happening, how much closer are we to the rapture of the church? Correct. Yes, that's correct. And and it, and it can keep in mind the future events many times cast a shadow backwards. We could be seeing here is a preview of this event. Yes, sir. And and you know what uh, Paul Sharp said that last week when we were looking at dispensationalism, we understand Bible prophecy that way. Well, let me while I've got you on the line, uh, you sent me your post on Prophecy Tracker. Bank for International Settlements to use AI to monitor global bank transfers has a lot to unpack. Now, I know this, and this is something that I came to you about. I wanted to research AI. It's very much in the news. The world is talking about it. Uh, there's some dangers that people are trying to make us aware of. This article goes into the new global cryptocurrency unicorn that is being introduced by the International Monetary Fund and how the Bank for International Settlements will bring all central banks into a single umbrella digital network. Yeah, it's correct, Jimmy. Is the IMF-compliant Unicoin will replace the 1969 version called the SDR, which stands for Spanish Special Depository Receipts, or a basket of currencies that were intended to be on standby to replace the U.S. dollar as world reserve currency. 
this new version Unicoin, which almost no one is talking about, will be ready to take the place of the U.S. dollar as reserve currency in the event the dollar fails. The Bank of International Settlements, or BIS, the central banker's banker, will be working to ensure smooth cross-border transactions. Jimmy, the IMF and BIS are preparing the Unicoin for a single European digital currency. Wow. What then is the BIS Project Aurora? Yeah, that's, this is a new one, too. This is the latest technology designed to use what they call now machine learning or computers learning from each other, which is what AI is, as a tool to discover and monitor criminal activities such as money laundering, now, giving the BIS enormous ability to sift through all global transactions. Once questionable activity is suspected, the central bankers Unelected central bankers, I should add, mm. will have the ability to shut down accounts and cancel transactions. Wow, that sounds like the BIS and the world's 95 central banks utilizing AI will gain tremendous power over the global economy. Yeah, it really does. And considering that unelected these bankers, these unelected bankers with the addition of AI will have the ability to monitor every, monitor every account and every transaction in real time as they happen which is actually mind-blowing. Well, R.C., in every interview we do, I put you on the spot and ask your opinion as to how this could relate to Bible prophecy. Yeah, Jimmy, we know from Jeremiah 17, 9, and 10 that men's hearts are desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. So it's logical to assume that AI, which uses the sum total of all of man's knowledge, mm -hmm. is similarly wicked. Mm -hmm. So what would wicked men do with their tools under the under the cover of, of tracking criminal activity and at the same time launching an IMF-compliant global cryptocurrency. Now imagine in the not-too-distant future that the reality that personal bank accounts can be frozen at any time and for any number of infractions from financial to political, which actually happened in Canada during the truckers' freedom convoy protests in February 11, 2022. The Canadian government froze access to millions of dollars of donated to the truckers during the protests over the COVID-19 mandates. Now, with all that in mind, I can't help but wonder if some future form of AI will be used to fulfill Revelation 13, mm. 14, and 15. And I want to read verse 14. It says, it, He deceives those who dwell on the earth by the signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Now, the he, we know, in this verse is the false prophet, second in command to Antichrist. Verse 15, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Mm. So you see that, that it seems that the image will have the, a way to see and mm -hmm. somehow know if men and women are worshiping it, bringing to mind a Vox headline from May 4th, 2023, just a few days ago. The headline reads, mind-reading technology has arrived. An AI-powered brain decoder can now read your thoughts with surprising accuracy. <laughs> so we keep in mind that this prophecy cannot happen until after the rapture of the church and after the Antichrist is revealed as the beast, approximately the midway point of the tribulation. So when you consider that chat GDP was only created in November 2022, just seven months ago, imagine what immense power technology will have at that point in the future. 
And after all that, the technology needed for the mark of the beast in the next two verses in Revelation 13, 16, and 17 seems more understandable. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehead so that no one may buy or sell except for one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. R.C., it's raised concerns for me with AI, and I know AI can do great things, but also people are very concerned about where the ending of AI could lead to. I mean, should we be concerned about AI? It's not in that much of a distant future. We're there now. And with everything that we use, our cell phones, our computers, uh, every conversation, everything that is being read, yes, they are uh, collecting data. Uh, the metaverse universe, really, if you look at this, all data is being collected so that, and I thought that's a great point that you made, how will the Antichrist knows whether people will worship him or not? And he's got to have that technology. Satan, Antichrist, and false prophet are not all-knowing. They're not omniscient. They're not all-present, omnipresent. They're not all-powerful, right? So, how are they going to use modern technology in the future to be able to find out who's doing what? So, you know, as I think about all these things, RC, I'm just really concerned. You bring up some very valid points, and I'm really excited about being able to bring this to to people's mind. Now, RC, one more question. One of the most asked questions in um, prophecy conferences how will I know if I take the mark of the beast? You know, what if I take it by mistake? The mark of the beast doesn't come into existence until three and a half years into the tribulation period. And so people, if you know Jesus Christ is your personal savior, you will be taken away at the rapture of the church. You don't have to worry about taking it by mistake. But that is something that uh, we have to make clear to people, correct? Yes, we really do, Jimmy, and we we have to get the order. We have to try the best we can to get the order of events clearly stated so that we don't have to go back and worry about things that, that do not pertain to the Church, that the Church will not be here for. And it, it's just, I come across that a lot, where people get fearful of things that... that by putting things out of order. And the Bible is very clear. The, the chronological use of Revelation is clear. We can, we can just use that as our guideline going forward and, and not be fearful, because what we're, what we're seeing with the rapture of the Church is the greatest news a Christian could possibly hear. Amen. Wow. Great stuff, R.C. Love it. Thank you so much for being with us today, for taking on the challenge of talking about AI. I think that we're out in front of this. I haven't heard anybody else really talking about it. So I'm glad that you decided to take on the challenge to address this. And we are going to keep watching this in the days moving forward. R.C. Murrow, uh, prophecytracker.org is his website. You can go there. We put the link on our website, His uh, the stories that he covers. But uh, you can go there on a daily basis and find out what's happening. R.C., thank you so very much for being with us today. My pleasure, Jimmy. God bless you and our listeners. R.C. Murrow gives us information pertaining to what's happening worldwide, and I do think that is something that we need to be aware of. And uh, again, looking forward at events that are today setting up events that are going to be taking place and fulfilling Bible prophecy during the tribulation period. And that's why we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Well, last week, uh, and we've been carrying on now, this is our third week of talking to Paul Scharf. Paul, welcome to the program today. 
Thank you, Jimmy. Great to be back with you. Yes, sir. And Paul is a Friends of Israel Church Ministries representative with the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. He's he's a great friend of our ministry. He's been with us for the last, this is the third week now, where we're talking about dispensationalism, its decline in the church. And uh, last week we finished up our conversation, Paul. We were talking about the times of the Gentiles. And I wanted right. to have you back to explain that. Now, in Luke chapter 21, verse 24, Jesus speaks of future events, uh, including the destruction of Jerusalem and his return. He says that Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So let's talk about the times of the Gentiles. What are the times of the Gentiles? Well, Jimmy, the times of the Gentiles are the times during which Gentile nations are dominating the world, and more particularly, dominating Israel and Jerusalem. They're having dominion over Jerusalem in fulfillment of God's prophetic plan. As Jesus described it here in his Olivet Discourse, and he is talking about the fact that Jerusalem will be overtaken by these Gentile nations. Which nations are they? Well, they are foretold in the book of Daniel, chapter 2 in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and chapter 7 in the vision that Daniel received, which covers the very uh, same time frame and the very same nations, Gentile nations. And of course, you and I know, Jimmy, those are Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be in dominion over Jerusalem, but we praise the Lord, not forever, but we have that blessed word, until, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. We know they'll be fulfilled at the coming kingdom when Christ returns, and that stone cut without hands in Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter 2, in other words, it's not of human origin, it comes directly from heaven and it smashes all the earthly kingdoms, and it rules forever. The definition for times of the Gentiles is any time the Gentile world is in control of the Jewish people or and the city of Jerusalem. And right. that began with the Babylonians coming in and taking into captivity and destroying the temple in the city of Jerusalem. First started at 605, then 586. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar right. comes in. And when we talk about those beasts that you mentioned, that one last, in fact, in which we keep our eyes on, is the ten toes of iron and clay, that mixture, and that terrible beast in Daniel chapter 7. Jimmy, as Daniel the prophet is explaining Nebuchadnezzar's dream to him about these precious metals that he saw that represent the kingdoms of the Gentile world that would trample upon Israel and Jerusalem, as you said, from 605 and 586 down to the end of the tribulation and the establishment of Christ's kingdom, Daniel explains to Nebuchadnezzar that he himself and Babylon were the head of gold. They're represented by this this head of gold. And Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, you, O king, are a king of kings. And he says, you are this head of gold. That's Daniel 2, 37 and 38. But then He shares a thought that Nebuchadnezzar would never have thought before. He says, after you, after you shall arise another kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar 
says, after me, there'll never be a kingdom after me. That's why he builds an entire statue of gold in Daniel chapter 3 to show that he and his kingdom, he believed, would last forever. But these four uh, kingdoms, which look so incredible, so wonderful, uh, shining in the sun from man's perspective, from our earthly perspective, from Nebuchadnezzar's worldly perspective, in Daniel 7, the Lord God gives Daniel a vision of the heavenly perspective of these same kingdoms. And of course, as you said this time, they're horrible, uh, grotesque beasts, mm. uh, a lion with wings, a bear raised up on one side, uh, a leopard with four wings and four heads, and then finally that indescribably horrible beast that represents Rome. And it reminds us of Peter's words, in Second Peter uh, chapter two verse twelve, and this is a different context, but it it's applicable, I think, to the beasts we see here in Daniel seven. They're like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, and they're just these horrendous, horrendous, horrific animals, wild animals, that Jimmy uh, represent from God's perspective the depravity of man, the tyranny that man seeks in rising to power to take control over the world, that'll all culminate in the final world ruler, the Antichrist, who is the, the coming prince of the same people that destroyed Israel in, in Jerusalem in A.D. 70. Mm -hmm. And we know that from Gabriel's explanation to Daniel of the vision of the 70 weeks that Daniel received, and that's in Daniel chapter 9, 26 and 27. It was the people of the prince who was to come who destroyed, who were to destroy Jerusalem in AD 70. The people that destroyed Jerusalem were, of course, the Romans. The Romans will be returning in the revived final phase of the Roman Empire during the coming tribulation. Mm. So as we look at this, and this really does help us, Paul, uh, in several different ways. I mean, it helps you. Uh, understanding Daniel really helps you, and that's the skeleton as to which we hang all the other prophecies in the Bible. Ezekiel, Revelation, right. Zechariah. You have to get Daniel correct in order to be able to understand Bible prophecy. So this helps us. It's amazing that Daniel could see and you know, was given this information way before the Roman Empire, before the Grecian Empire, before the Medes and the right. Persians. And so, I mean, again, this validates, uh, and I love how you take it to Rome when they were in charge in AD 70 in the, uh, of the city of Jerusalem, bringing down the temple, the destruction, the people. So this really answers a lot of questions for us that we have. So I, I really uh, appreciate all of that. And of course, the little horn is going to come on that terrible beast. The little horn is one of the right. 27 names for the Antichrist that we've talked about often on this program. And, you know, again, all of these are still yet uh, that the iron, the mixture, the feet of the statue of iron and clay, the ten toes, and that terrible beast in the future, those are all still yet to come. And uh, we understand that as we read through, having the, you know, the ability to look back over time 
to understand Bible prophecy, but Daniel just wrote down the things that he understood and he could look down the road. So we have the, uh, the ability to look back. Daniel was looking forward and giving us all this information. So let's put it in today's terms. Looking again at, at Luke chapter 21, we see that Jesus mentions a time in which Jerusalem is under the dominion of Gentile authority. And that is still happening today, correct? That's right, Jimmy. You know, one amazing truth about all of this, we find in Daniel seven twelve that as the beasts disappear, their dominion is taken away, yet their lives are prolonged. Verse 12 of Daniel 7 says, for a season and a time. That's why when John, the apostle in the book of Revelation, sees the final Antichrist in Revelation 13, it has the characteristics of all the nations that have come before. It was like a leopard and feet like a bear and a mouth like a lion uh, in Revelation 13.2. So the legacy mm-hmm. of each of these nations live on in their successors. When Jesus and his apostles were here on the earth, they were, of course, living in the Roman Empire, walking on Roman roads, but speaking the Greek language. And this influence has continued all the way down through history and will reemerge fiercely in the coming tribulation, of course, as you said, in that final Roman ruler. Mm. Well, let's take it to uh, the New Testament and one of the themes of Romans chapter 11. That's an amazing truth, Jimmy, that coincides with all of this, is we know that currently and for the last 2,000 years nearly, uh, the people of Israel have been in their dispersion, and uh, they're partially and temporarily blinded and hardened from the gospel. And Paul teaches this clearly in Romans 11. Again, that wonderful word until that Jesus used with yes. regard to the times of the Gentiles. It's only until yep. those times are fulfilled. And, and he uses the same word, Paul uses the same word that Jesus used when he talks about the fact that it's only until... Uh, something happens that that the people of Israel are temporarily and partially blinded from the gospel. It's only until Romans 11.25, the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So there's something similar, not the same, but coinciding in part with the times of the Gentiles is the fullness of the Gentiles. We might say the time of the fullness of the Gentiles. That's the time in which God has been working in the church age, primarily among Gentile people, and I know that includes me, Jimmy, and I'm thankful <laughs> to be included. Yes, sir. And, uh, you know, we here in America have been blessed, as, as America for the last uh, four centuries has been really the center of the Christian world in terms of world missions and Christian ministry. Uh, that's not because, of course, we're going to bring in the kingdom, or because certainly not because we've replaced Israel, but God has blessed us even as a Gentile nation, as Gentile people, and he has given us these incredible blessings during this time. But Jimmy, Paul says to us Gentiles, don't be haughty, don't be proud, don't mm. be arrogant, don't be boastful, because beware of this, there will be a day when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and God will turn his focus from the Gentile world again back to the people of Israel. And the blessed thing for us, of course, is that that time will end with the blessed hope, the rapture of the church will be in heaven with Christ, and then God will 
resume working primarily again through the people of Israel, uh, and there will still be Gentile people saved in the tribulation. That's, of course, another whole story. But God will pour out his grace upon the people of Israel, who I believe are coming back today to their land in in preparation That's right. for future events to unfold when God restores the people of Israel and returns his focus to the nation of Israel once again. Yes. When the time is right, God will restore the entire nation of Israel and will come to faith in him once again, ending the times of the Gentiles. And, you know, when you look at it, uh, uh, we've been talking about dispensationalism, the dispensations, the time periods, and we really haven't even looked at the, the different time periods of world history from the beginning Genesis chapter 1 so we but the day of the Lord is a time period when the Jewish people the nation of Israel will be restored again and the times of the Gentiles will come to an end during that seven-year period of time well thank you so much Paul thank you again and we're gonna have to have you back because I do think it's important we really need to look at Daniel chapter 9. I know you uh, talked about it today, but yes. in the future, I want to talk about why the tribulation period is for the Jewish people, and we're giving that understanding in the 70th week of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, and we'll have you back to talk about that in the future, how God will again bring and restore the entire nation of Israel to himself. Thank you, Paul, for joining with us today. I really appreciate your understanding of Scripture and uh you could go to again where can folks find your information and, and listen to your your sermons and your vignettes and the things that you do thank you jimmy they can always go to sermonaudio.com slash p sharf that's p-s-c-h-a-r-f they'll find all my material they can contact me there and it's all about all the work that i'm involved in with the friends of israel gospel ministry which I'm so privileged to uh, be involved with and to serve the Lord through this wonderful means. And I thank you, Jimmy, for this great opportunity today. Thank you, Paul. Well, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, the Legacy Series with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung as we're exploring God's plan for the ages. Right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr., along with my brother Rick We've been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And Rick is still in Israel. Let's join him right now at the Western Wall. I'm standing here in the Western Wall Plaza. You'd be a lot of noise. There's a dedication ceremony. There's young Israeli soldiers taking their oath, and now they're chanting and dancing and having a good time. People down at the Western Wall. I'm here with Micah Folkers. Micah, tell us where you're from. I'm from Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. The biggest thing for me has been the garden tomb, which we saw earlier today. Um, also, the Nazareth village, but both of those things just, it was amazing because you got to see how it related to scripture and uh, just made it come alive. Certainly does make it come to life. Uh, would you say that this has had an impact on you as a young man? And I know you're preparing for the ministry, aren't you? I am, yeah, and it definitely has. And taking notes here and there, especially. Um, I mean, there's great material here for <laughs> illustrations all over the place and just cultural things that you never would have known otherwise and historical things. It's just been incredible, and I've gained a lot from that. Uh, what a great testimony. Well, on the Legacy Series today, we're going to continue our study of God's plan through the ages. You know, we must realize that the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, contains God's plan. To know God's plan, we must know God's Word. 
We'll begin today with a very quick survey of the Bible, including all 66 books. This is how we'll come to an understanding of God's plan through the ages. We're going to begin our study today in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32. But first, let's refresh your thinking as it relates to our last study. If we had to title our series for this week, it would be God's Plan Through the Ages. God's Plan Through the Ages. Now, if you'll remember with me, last time we were together, we talked about how there is a philosophy of history. This philosophy of history helps us to understand how God is working throughout all of the ages for the last 6,000 years with a thousand-year kingdom yet to come. That should conclude all of time. Time was created the very first verse of the book of Genesis, in the beginning. That started time. It will conclude in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, when the great white throne judgment takes place and Jesus, seated on that throne, watches as the heaven and the earth will flee away and they will burn up completely. And then after the great white throne judgment, eternity future, new heavens, new earth, and a new Jerusalem. And so as we looked at all of that unfolding in God's Word from Genesis 1 through Revelation 22, we understand that there is a philosophy of history that we must have. Uh, First of all, we have to see a systematic interpretation of history, of things in the past. We have to see the whole scope of history. Uh, The fact is that the beginning and the end must cover everything that we think about when we put together a philosophy of history. There has to be a meaning, a serious, unique meaning for all of history. And these ends and beginnings of so many things that we'll study as we go through the Word of God this week, they have to have a conclusion. If it starts, it has to conclude. That's all of history. That's what history is all about. And of course, it has to have an ultimate reason for coming into existence all of time. God, out of eternity past, when there was nothing else, 6,000 years ago brought everything into existence. He gave Jesus the prerogative of being able to speak the worlds into existence, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. By him, Colossians 1, 17, everything is held together until he releases that. And that's how these heavens above us and the world itself is going to burn up and we move into a eternity future concept when there is no time anymore. So there was no time, there has been time, there will be no time once again in the future. As we look at God's plan throughout history, there's one verse that basically lays out his plan and what he's going to do. Take your Bibles and go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 32. 1 Corinthians 10, 32. Now, 1 Corinthians 10 is not talking about a prophetic passage of Scripture. It's dealing with another subject. Paul's saying everything is lawful for me, everything not expedient for me to do. I don't want to be an offense. In that context of that message, Paul says one phrase in chapter 10 and verse 32, one phrase that will help us understand a philosophy of history Uh, That is the plan for God throughout the ages. Look at verse 32. God gives Paul this information. It's to pass along to us. It's his testimony to the people in Corinth. 
but it's information key to understanding how he's going to unfold history. Chapter 10, 1 Corinthians, verse 32. He said, I'll give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. And when he makes that statement, he divides humankind into three persons. Gentiles, Jews, and Christians. All of history has not had all three of these members of the human family in existence. But these are the three members of the human family. This will play into the plan of Almighty God. Gentiles, Jews, and Christians. Go back to Genesis chapter 1 with me. And I want you to notice now, as we're going to quickly do a survey of the entire Word of God this morning, setting up for our next three studies that will help us to see what God is going to do with each of these individual members of the human family in the next three sessions together and move into the prophetic significance of all the timelines for these three members of the human family. When we come back to the book of Genesis, and if you're taking notes, let me advise you to do this. Vertically, on the left side of your paper, write four personalities. At the top, put the name Adam, come down a little space, uh, and then put the name Abraham, and then come down about twice as much as you've already come down, and put the word apostles, and then come down at the bottom and put the word antichrist. If you will put this on the vertical side of your paper, the left-hand side, I'm going to show you how these personalities separate the three members of the human family and help us to understand God's plan throughout the ages. Adam, Genesis chapter 1 and verses 26 to 28, in the afternoon on the sixth day of creation, God brings into existence in his image Adam. Ultimately, we'll see that the Lord will bring Eve out of Adam and they will be able to become the rulers and have dominion over all of creation. That's chapter 1 of the book of Genesis. And the purpose for us looking at the beginning there in chapter 1 is to see that the pattern was set for the kingdom that is to come yet in the future. And we'll show you that on the timeline in just a moment. When we come to chapter 2, we see the special details, additional facts, helping us to understand what actually took place in chapter 1. The creation account is given the six days of creation in chapter 1, but in chapter 2, more of the details, information we need to know. We looked yesterday, we saw that Adam was able to have the responsibility of naming the animals. He was actually looking for a helpmate when he did not find a helpmate among all the animals. The Lord gave him a helpmate, pulled a rib out of him, made woman, and he then brought into that institution of marriage to bring these two together and to make them one. That's chapter 2, and we see, talked about here in chapter 2, the location for the Garden of Eden, actually where there was a headquarters for this kingdom that had been set up. And so then that looks into the future, because remember, a true philosophy of history has a coordination between the beginning and the end, and the location talked about there in the book of Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, is the Garden of Eden. So the kingdom, that first kingdom, a pattern for that which will happen after the return of Jesus Christ, that kingdom was established there in the Garden of Eden. We had the pattern, we had the place for that kingdom to be operating out of. We come to chapter 3, we see the story of the fall of man. We see how Lucifer, in the form of a serpent, 
deceives, he confuses Eve. And in that context, the first sin comes into existence. One of the evidences, and if we take chapter 3 to be literal, which is the approach I suggested yesterday in our dispensational approach to understanding the philosophy of history, one of those two types of theology present in our world today We have to take the word of God literally, not allegorize what is taking place here, not spiritualize in conversations with people. I often see them spiritualizing what the text says. Well, possibly this means that this is what, no, what does the text say? What does the word have to say to us? That's the only thing we can rely upon, and we must do that consistently. So when we get to the third chapter, we see uh, that here... Adam and Eve are both going to be deceived by confusion. The devil is going to say, well, God didn't really say that, did he? And uh, You're not going to really die if you eat of this tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so we see sin here. But this is setting up for the end time scenario where we're going to see Satan ultimately bound. In chapter 3, in chapters 1, 2, and 3 of the book of Genesis, we have a theocracy in place. In chapters 20, 21, and 22 of the book of Revelation, we have a theocracy once again in place. For the first three chapters of the Bible, a theocracy, last three chapters of the Bible, a theocracy, all in between chapter 4 through chapter 19 of the book of Revelation, chapter 4 of Genesis, we have a Satanocracy. And the king of this world is Satan. But at the end of Satan's reign on this earth, at the end of the tribulation period, the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1, 2, and 3, he will be cast into a bottomless pit for the thousand-year period of time. A period of time when Jesus Christ receives the glory, Satan is off the scene in a bottomless pit. Chapter 4, we see the story of Cain and Abel. But uh, once we see that Cain kills Abel, God then gives them Seth. And in the days of Seth, last verse in chapter 4 of the book of Genesis, we see in those days men started to call upon the name of the Lord. And that is giving us evidence forecasting into the future when a multitude, chapter 7 of the book of Revelation, verse 9, says a multitude that no man can number will come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in that seven-year period of time. The two witnesses, Enoch, oh, that takes us to chapter 5. Chapter 5 of the book of Genesis, it's a genealogy, but great truth found in it. It's helping us to understand there is no evil angelic bloodline between Adam and Noah. That's the first thing it tells us. But it also brings to our attention Enoch. He's a man who walked on the, Lord, on the earth with the Lord, but then walked into the heavenlies with the Lord as well. And one of those two witnesses is going to be Enoch there in that first half of the tribulation period, Revelation chapter 11, verses 3 and following. We, that's chapter 5. We go to chapters 6, 7, and 8. We see the reason for the flood in chapter 6, and that would be because evil angels had sexual relationship with human women and developed a bloodline that was not pure, thus the Messiah could not come forth. Remember in chapter 3, Satan used his subtle strategy of confusion. When he gets to chapter 6, he uses his subtle strategy of contamination. He contaminates the bloodline, which is not going to allow then a pure virgin young lady to bring forth the Messiah. Well, God took care of that because he preserved eight people that were perfect. 
They were not perfect because they didn't have sin. They were perfect because they had no evil angelic bloodline in them. Uh, the reason is chapter 6, the retribution, the blood that, uh, excuse me, the flood that covered the entire earth for 377 days, one year plus 12 days, the earth was covered with this water. The entire earth, it says in chapter 7, that the water was 15 feet higher than any mountain on the face of the earth at that time. It covered the entire earth. And then uh, uh, the revival and the, the setting up again of an opportunity to allow God to use his plan among men throughout the ages. In our study today, we have started our journey through the Bible and have come to Genesis 6 and 7, which is the account of Noah and the flood, which took place some 4,500 years ago. Remember that the first 12 chapters of Genesis are key to not only understanding the entire Bible, but key to knowing God's plan through the ages. Next week, we'll begin with Genesis 8 and 9, Noah after the flood, and then we'll continue our march through God's Word. Please join us. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. Well, we've got to take a break, and when we come back, we'll join Rick in Israel as he wraps up his trip there in the land, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. There's no question, Haiti's in a fuel crisis. Violent gains have taken over ports where fuel comes in, and one gallon of gasoline costs 30 U.S. dollars on the black market. And, adding to the national instability, an earthquake on Tuesday has displaced 13,000 Haitians and killed 50. We spoke with Kate Michelle from Radio 4VEH and a ministry partner of Transworld Radio. She says they praise God for continued radio ministry and the gospel-changing lives. Pray with Haitians for God's guiding hand in their country. And we'll end today with good news from India. Set Free Ministries' Dave McIntyre says their partners celebrate 20 years of ministry this year. Set Free India is headquartered in Mizoram State, where 98% of the population claims to know Jesus, but their lives show a different truth. Set Free India disciples the downtrodden, teaching them about Christ. Pray for believers who are reaching addicts, prisoners, and orphans. Mission Network News is service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we've been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. I thought I'd wrap up the program today by going back to Jerusalem, where Rick will talk with Randy Melchert and the principal of the Academy of Excellence, 
Let's join Rick now in Jerusalem. Well, that's right, Jimmy. I'm here in Jerusalem with Randy Melchert of Academy of Excellence Online Learning System. We are outside in Jerusalem. You might hear some of the Muslim calls to prayer in the background. Randy, thanks for joining us on the program. You're welcome. Glad to be with you, Rick. Randy, you have an online homeschool program, and you have brought 58 people here, parents and students, coming for a senior trip. Tell us why you felt like it was important for these kids to come to Israel for their senior trip. We felt this was important because a lot of times senior trips are, you know, you don't want to say waste on the old people, but they only have 10, 15 years of Bible study to make use of it. When we bring over teenagers for the rest of their life, as they read through the Bible, when it talks about the Sea of Galilee, they'll be able to say, I was there. When they're reading about, you know, where Jesus was in Jerusalem, when God said that this was his chosen city, they can say that I was there. When they are reading the Bible, it's not, they're wondering, you know, is, is are they talking about a sea that's the Atlantic Ocean, Lake Michigan, Lake Winnebago? They're knowing what it was, and the Bible can come to life for them and is a memory that will stick with them for the rest of their lives. Well, it certainly is. I've been talking and interviewing some of the kids, and so many of them say exactly what you just said, that this trip makes the Bible come to life to them. We've got a member of the tour with us. It's actually the principal of the AOE online school. If you could, give us your name and where you're from. My name is Krishna Hangar, and I'm originally from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. From Milwaukee, Wisconsin, but a hangar. Now, that's an interesting name. Uh, where does your family come from? My father was originally from Iran, so he grew up in Abaddon and joined the military and made his way into the United States, actually, pre-revolution days. Pre-revolution, amazing. So now you were born in Milwaukee. Very interesting. Well, let's see. You are the principal here. You've been having a great time with these kids. If you could, Chris, could you tell us a little bit about why this, uh, why you guys felt like you needed to do this tour to Israel and what has stood out for you on this trip to Israel? We can go on many different field trips for the seniors. We can take them to D.C. We can take them to different sites around the United States. But being that they're growing up as Christians, it was a chance for them to come to the Holy Land, actually experience the Bible firsthand. Now, okay, they read about it. They're in church. They're in Sunday school. They have Bible class every day as part of their curriculum. Now they can walk the streets and see this is what actually they are reading about. They're now seeing this live and the impression that it leaves with them now can actually lead them to they can actually be the missionaries within wisconsin mm -hmm. actually throughout mm -hmm. the country mm -hmm. now showing them this is why we saw the footsteps that christ took now here is what it actually means to them and to others uh, i think that's so great and i think this is such a great foundational thing for young people to do great to come at whatever age you are but coming at this young age when you are setting the foundation for your life well one last question chris what has stood out to you in particular on this trip Besides just walking through the uh, the Holocaust Museum, that was just breathtaking. I don't know. There's no words that can describe that. Uh, just seeing how civilization after civilization built on top of one or the other, and we, although we walked the same footsteps that Jesus did, we were above it. We didn't actually walk in that same spot. So just taking that in a little bit and understanding where we were, but then seeing how history has changed over time, and it, it's just amazing. I have to come back more than once to, to really see this and get this experience. I agree, and I think it's great you're able to put things in context. Well, Chris, thank you so much for talking to us today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Randy, if you could, tell us a little bit about the philosophy at the Academy of Excellence online homeschool program. Sure. We're in several states, Wisconsin, Iowa, Indiana, working on North Carolina. 
Our goal is to help kids have an integrated Christian worldview. That as you're, they're studying math, science, English, history, you know, the goal isn't just to get a good ACT score so you can get into a good college, so you can get into a good job, so you can make lots of money, so someday you can retire in the best nursing home in your county. Our goal is that we can equip kids. God wants to fill their toolbox so they can make a difference for him. They can let their light so shine before men. And that part of it, the core of it, is understanding the Bible. And as part of understanding the Bible, that's why we are so glad to work with you, Rick, is that we can be here in the land of the Bible, seeing the Bible, seeing as you talk about Israel's past, present, and future. Well, that's right. And it has been an excellent trip as we see these kids. The light bulbs are just coming on as they begin to see, as they are setting foundations for their future, they begin to see the Bible coming to life to them and it becomes real to them here in the land. Well, Randy, as we travel around here, we've been talking about Israel past, present, and prophetic. And of course, on this program, we focus on prophecy and we have seen so many things taking place as we are here right now. What has struck you? And I know you're a student of Bible prophecy as well. What has struck you um, as we have been traveling here? You see God setting the stage for his end time scenario to be fulfilled. While we were in the Western Wall Tunnels, our guide was talking about the temple. He showed us where the first temple layers were, where Isaiah and Hezekiah would have been, showed us the second temple layers, showed us some of the stuff that, I mean, these are recent digs from the last couple years. And then he talked about the coming temple. Now, we have been to the Temple Institute with you, Rick, but this was amazing that all of a sudden we're hearing this in other areas. This isn't just one niche group. This is becoming a widespread opinion where they are talking about rebuilding the temple. And it's fascinating how they talk about it as a house of prayer for all nations. I mean, as Christians, we know what those words means. Jesus talked about that, but that we are seeing that there is a movement coming for a new temple. And we're hearing about this from guides at the Western Wall Tunnels. It certainly is amazing. That was uh, quite the story. And like you said, this is a guy, this is a Jewish guy at the Western Wall Tunnel. There's been a fundamental shift among the people here in Israel as they look at that Temple Mountain. We know there is going to be a temple that stands there during the tribulation period. We have talked about that often on this program. We've talked about it on this tour, the preparations that are being made. And it's just so incredible as we see Bible prophecy being prepared to be fulfilled. That's what we're doing here in the land. Well, Randy, I think it's excellent what you're doing with these young kids. The next generation needs to understand so that they can share with their generation. Each generation is responsible to reach their generation with the good news of the gospel and the good news of prophecy. Can you give us the website for those that are interested in finding out more about this program? Sure, Rick. That's aoevirtual.org. AOE Academy of Excellence, letters aoevirtual.org. Randy, thanks so much for being on the program. Thanks so much for all you're doing with these kids. It's been a joy to travel in the land of Israel with you. Glad to be here with you, Rick. What a great opportunity for those young people. Thanks, Rick and Randy, for understanding the responsibility of teaching our young people today. Folks, with all that we've seen in our program today, the rapture of the church cannot be far away. Let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.